I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest is an expert in a topic that we sometimes avoid talking about openly. Michaela Baum is an expert in intimacy, relationship, and sexuality. I first heard about her when I was watching a Netflix documentary called Unwell. And in the documentary, it was talking about intimacy between uh, couples, among many, many other challenges that face our health and mental health in, uh, in the modern world. Honestly, not a documentary that I recommend, by the way. But she was the only one that really made sense, I think, in that episode. And so I tried to reach out to her. And I realized that her body of work centers around the intersection between intimacy and embodiment. And that she has more than 30,000 hours of in-person counseling. So uh, she would work with uh, an individual or a couple one-to-one to to try and uncover uh, the challenges they have with intimacy. She has a clinical experience in trauma and addiction, and she worked with celebrity couples, and her work has been featured in print publications, TV programs, uh, talk shows, and so on. She uh, published a book. She put all of that together and published a book that was called The Wild Woman's Way in 2018. And so, as I said, the topic of intimacy and sexuality is a topic that we normally avoid addressing head-on. But my intention today with uh, Michaela is to dive deep and hopefully ask some of the questions that you truly want to ask and maybe open up to a few discoveries that might make the life of couples uh, a lot happier. So I am really grateful that you took the time. And is it Michaela Baum? So is it, uh, is it out of uh, Deutschland? Or the, I'm Austrian, Austria? but people in the States say Michaela. They still Michaela. don't know how okay. to say Michaela. So, so they say Michaela and that's how everybody knows. So, so I'll, I'll tell you openly, now I understand. Because the first time I came across your work, I was watching a documentary on Netflix. Let's say is, I actually don't remember the name, but let's let's say it was a bit new agey, right? So everyone was like, "Eh," you know, saying things that are not really substantiated. And then you showed up in the documentary and you were like, look, here are the facts, right? And I was like, I "I like that. (laughs) This is, you know, it's a a sensitive topic, but to talk about it logically with facts is quite an, an interesting way of doing it. So that comes from the Germanic background, isn't it? Yes, I don't consider myself Germanic because, of course, if you come from that part of the world, right, there's very strong Uh differences between the Austrians and the Germans. I I agree. As both the Austrians and the Germans will be happy to point out at all times. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but but both are quite facts-driven. Yes, yes. Definitely, I grew up with a focus on things making sense and a rational hmm. mind and quite a love for the scientific and all of that. Yeah, yeah I, so. I love that. But but then you spent 
what, more than 20 years being an intimacy coach. I mean, you coached some of the most famous celebrities, Gwyneth Paltrow, I heard, and Will Smith, which is the one male on the planet that I'm most jealous of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, th I think he's funny and smart and handsome. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Anyway, but so, so what, what is an intimacy coach? Well, I mean, you know, that's mostly something that has happened in the press, the intimacy coach piece. Mm. I work on the intersection between, let's say, relationship embodiment and sexuality. And mm. in that intersection, there is, of course, one of the things that shows up immediately is, are you intimate with your own body? Are you intimate with your own needs? Are you intimate with the sensations in your body? Can you listen to the messages that you're receiving and integrate them into your conscious mind, so to speak, right? And then, of course, from there, there's intimacy with another and intimacy is not necessarily sex, right? Uh, that it's mm -hmm, the ability totally. to meet someone where where they are, right? Meet ourselves where we are and meet someone else where they are. And that's not always easy. Hmm. That's as a matter of fact, that's almost becoming a phenomenon in our modern world that it's almost always difficult. I mean, it's rarely ever easy, isn't it? No, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. And, and less so now with all the social media and, of course, less so now that we're all in lockdown, you know, and things of that nature. But I think in general, even before, you know, I'm in the fortunate position of having done this so long that I remember the time before everything was happening on Instagram or Twitter or mm. places like that, right? And so even then, for people to really be with their own emotions, you know, sometimes very strong emotions, positive and negative, mind you. It's not only with mm. positive. Some people can't be with their partner when it's really good either, meaning it's too much, right? They fuzz out, mm. they kind of start mm. giggling, they go away in their mind. So actual physical connection, physical, not necessarily touching, but physical in one space with a person looking into their eyes, speaking with them, listening with them. That's not exactly something we are taught. Some of us mm -hmm. were fortunate enough to have good parents who instilled those kind of things and you learned them by observing them. But many people have never been given that much open available space, you mm -hmm. know, where somebody else listened to them and really looked at them and really connected with them and really felt who they were. And that's very compelling. And uh, if somebody knows how to do that, it's very wonderful for the relationship, of course. But it's also very wonderful for their general well-being because their experience gets so much richer. In a way, it seems to me that we as humans require that, almost need that for our well-being. And that intersection is actually quite interesting, the, the way you, you mention it, because it's a, embodiment is really sort of your relationship with yourself, right? And the idea of overlapping that with your relationship and sexuality is sort of like you have to build a relationship with yourself first before you build a relationship with another so that you end up in a place where there is sexuality. I mean, is, is that the way you see it? Uh, close, yes. I would certainly mm -hmm. say that that's an accurate description, right? Embodiment, contrary to what a lot of people see as embodiment, how 
we look at embodiment is essentially the ability to hear the messages of the body, right? Be intimate mm. with the sensations of the body. And within that, of course, not everything's positive, right? You're not always going to feel really lovely mm. when you're embodying, meaning when you're allowing yourself to feel your body and feel the messages of the body. Because, of course, if you don't listen to them, there's like a sediment of negative stuff. And if you've had trauma or grief or things like that, that's there too. And so embodiment and the ability to be with yourself is definitely the fundamental bedrock of being with anyone else. Because how are you going to know what's happening in somebody else's body all the way mm. down to sex, right? Where, I mean, how are you going to know what somebody else's body is experiencing if you are completely numb to your own body? We pick up via neuro, mm. mirror neurons and everything else what's mm. happening in somebody else's body. So intimacy with yourself is the fundamental step in intimacy with anyone and anything, right? And sexuality, of course, in an ideal world is born from the deep bodily wisdom and understanding that allows you to set proper boundaries, that allows you to open to a person if you want to, or not open to a person if you want to, that allows you to feel yourself, feel your partner. And then from there, there's other dimensions available, right? More emotional, psychological, spiritual dimensions available. That would be the ideal scenario. But of course, a lot of people know sex only as something that one does to kind of feel good, like one has a drink or eats a bag of chips. And mm. there's a lot of longing for that depth of connection that, of course, most people intuit is there. Or maybe they had it spontaneously or with somebody who knows how to do that. And so often there is, you know, so to speak, fast food sexuality. And then there is a, there's gourmet sexuality, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah, junk food. Let's call it junk food. Yes. Sexual, yeah. Junk sexuality and gourmet sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And also just good home cooking. There's nothing wrong with good home <laughs> cooking, which is somewhere in the middle, right? Doesn't always have to mm. be on the extreme ends of things. Sometimes it can just be good, but you know, good and enjoyable and, and enjoyable. And I, I, so I, I spent 28 years with one woman in my life. And I definitely believe that if that connection, is there, you know, it's actually much better than junk food in Absolutely. so many ways. It's intimate, yeah. it's close, it's lovely, yeah. uh, you know, and it's enjoyable in every possible way. Yeah. But that's not the common phenomena that, that we see here, right? I mean, most people uh, sort of like within months or years at most, so, sort of lose the spark. Isn't, isn't that normal nowadays? It is normal, uh, or it is, let's put it this way, it's considered normal. And mm. one of the reasons it's considered normal is because the, it's, it's a big topic, right? And certainly mm. one of the main things I deal with when working with couples, it's considered normal, but in an interesting way, even though it's considered normal, everybody thinks they can avoid it till it happens. And then they're very surprised <laughs> yes. that it happens. Not, not, not me. me. That happens exactly. to other normal humans, but yes, I'm not exactly. going to suffer that. <laughs> and, then, and then there's no education around that. So then uh. there's two avenues people take. One is resignation, mm. maybe a bit of upset followed by resignation or 
substitution, meaning people start cheating or other kinds of stuff happens, porn or, you know, whatever. They mm. open the relationship. I mean, you name it. But to understand that that's a normal progression, the relationship, and that there's actually tools around that and that it's an opportunity to deepen the engagement and not to just seek the thrill somewhere else. That's not being taught, right? And also, I mean, these are skills. There's some skills to know. There's some education around that. It's not that hard to fix, actually. The problem is that people tend to want to fix it at the point where they have so much resentment and anger and disappointment built up that other things need to be dealt with. The mechanics of keeping the spark alive are pretty straightforward and easy. Oh, that, that is a mega statement, Michaela. That is a <laughs> like, <laughs> that like, we're going to ask you to get to the stand now and explain what you just said. I mean, in, in reality, I think one of the biggest challenges in our world today is that people lose that spark sexually. I mean, in, in general, why do people break up? Huh? Either they chose wrong in the beginning, right? Yeah. But if they chose right, it's eventually what mostly sexuality or, you know, it becomes stale. You know, you you love the person you're with totally from your heart sometimes, but without sex, it starts to go like, okay, as you rightly said, you know, some people will go cheating or whatever, and that triggers or it just becomes stale, you know, yeah, like you, right. you go through the everyday feeling that you have a buddy next to you, not a lover, not an intimate uh, partner, right? Correct. And, and so when you say it's easy to fix, uh, prove it. <laughs> okay, well, it's very easy to fix. But like I said, the caveat is you have to know what you're doing from the beginning and mm. not only attend to it when there's a lot of emotional resentment, resentment and baggage that has come from it, right? It's not that easy to fix, of course, once you've cheated and, you know, things of that, that then all other aspects of relational difficulty come in. But so I'll start, I'll give you a quick overview of how I work with it and how you can make sense of it. So one of the ways that you can make sense of it is that when you look at sexuality or meaning the attraction between two people, right? We sometimes call it erotic friction, which is a great term. I'll explain mm. in a second. So you have erotic chemistry or erotic friction with someone. And that is based on difference, newness, difference, excitement, unfamiliarity. So mm. that's one area, right? Erotic friction. The other area, and that's and those two areas get, get conflated all the time, is relationship. Mm. So relationship is built on resonance, on sameness, on similarity. Uh -huh. So you and I don't know each other at all. So how we would establish relationship is we find commonalities. Mm. Right. If we would sit somewhere, we'd probably discover that we know some people in common, at least, you know, in the social media world or whatever. Right. Maybe mm -hmm. we'd discover that we like the kind of music or we have a similar background or whatever. Right. We read the same book recently. So we're going to connect as humans. And then, of course, this is also true when one connects romantically by finding commonality. And so the mark of a functioning long-term or medium range, however you want to say it, but the mark of a long-term, medium range, or even short-term, but very successful relationship is that you have common 
ideas, goals, political outlook, spiritual alignment, spiritual alignment, the way you look at money, children, no children, right? All of those things. The more aligned you are and the more commonality you have, the better your relationship. So interesting. So that's so, so there is that conflict between them because one is saying let's be more similar, but then by definition there are no newness anymore. Correct. So that's but mm. that's an easy fix, and I'll tell you why. But let me just talk about relationship for a moment because it's very, when you mm. get this, everything makes total sense. And I don't know why why this isn't you know known or taught as much. Yeah. Right. So a relationship problem is when you are not agreeing. So communication mm-hmm. issues, you can't agree on where the kids are going to be raised. You don't, one is a vegetarian, one is a, you know, is a meat eater, whatever. So relationship issues have to do with not being on the same side or on the same part of the rope, so to speak, right? When you have relationship issues, you must see a relationship counselor, right? Okay. Somebody who creates commonality again, or at least brokers a compromise or teaches you better communication so you're once again on the same side of the argument. That's Mm. relational fixes. Attraction or erotic friction issues are not relationship issues. They have to do with sexual attraction. So like you said rightly, the very things that make a relationship good are the things that make the sexual attraction go away. And so hmm. the normal course of a relationship, there's, of course, always, you know, exceptions. And I'm making a very black and white argument here, just as a disclaimer. It's very subtle, but for the sake of the bigger argument, two people meet, doesn't matter if it's two men, two women, a man, a woman, doesn't matter, right? Two people meet, they, have, they, they like each other and they have strong spark. And now they start engaging sexually and it's really exciting. And at the same time, you know, the beginnings of a courtship, it's like you have sex and then you talk about things that you don't know about each other, right? You have long mm. discussions at night. There's so much to tell. It's really exciting. You don't know that person. So everything's fresh and new and the world is a sparkly, wonderful place, right? So mm. then what happens is now you decide you want to take this further. So what then happens is you start establishing we, right? Commonality. Mm. Now mm. you have your favorite place you go to eat. You develop like a ritual for your Sunday. Uh, you start introducing your romantic partner to your friends. Then you do things together. Now, eventually the usual progression goes, then you at some point move in together and maybe you'll have, you know, get married or have children or form a business together. All of that happens. And it's, it's two people coming closer and closer and closer together, ideally without much drama in the relationship, right? If it's a good relationship. Mm. And suddenly one fine day, you're sitting on the sofa in your matching sweatpants, eating out of a bowl of of popcorn, watching your favorite TV show, right? That you've watched for five times before. Before. And it's wonderful, but nobody wants to hang off the rafters having great sex, right? So (laughs) because you are now, like you said, buddies, Anytime somebody says to me, I married my best friend, the next thing they're going to say is, and we no longer have sex, right? Uh-huh. Because, mm. because that's what happens. You become buddies, you become partners, you, and that's good, mind you. This is the important thing to know. 
harmonious, positive, aligned relationship is hard to come by. You don't want to throw that away. But if you remember how it was in the beginning when you had the great, exciting sex, well, you were two different people. You haven't just folded in together. Not all your shit is in the same place. Not everything is a compromise, right? You don't get ready for your date night in the same bathroom, seeing each other brush, you know, the teeth and, you know, going out to dinner, talking about who feeds the dog next and all of that, right? That is the death of the erotic friction. Now, mm-hmm. that's no rocket science. It's just something we forget, right? That what made it interesting is we were different people. So this is where the quick fix comes in, or the easy fix, I should say, not quick fix, easy fix. If you have discipline around not giving yourself up, around maintaining individuality, around mm-hmm. spending some time apart, around not always touching randomly without any purpose or even consciousness around muddling up, bill paying, huggy, kissy stuff, the kids and your business, you can maintain the eroticism long-term. And I know people who've done it very successfully, but it does take discipline and it takes a shift in your mind where you go, Spending all your time together is not the best thing for the relationship. Always Uh touching, not the best thing for the relationship. Discussing, you know, who pays which bill while at a romantic dinner, death of the sex. This is no, Mm. this is no revelation to anyone. If you really think about it, when you first go on a date, what do you do? Right? You go home, you dress yourself. To prepare yourself. You are excited. You've made a plan. You have things to talk about. You meet the other person somewhere. You don't fiddle on your phone while they're ordering their food. You're with them. Yeah. Mm. You ask them questions. You have interesting things to say about yourself. You designate the time to connect. Nobody talks about that the dog got sick earlier or that little Johnny has to be picked up from kindergarten in the morning. You don't do that on a date. So why suddenly is it okay to do it with your significant other? Well, because we are meant to believe that a good relationship means a good sex life. And Mm. if your sex life is no longer great, the relationship is in question. So this is really interesting. This is almost like what we say about work and life, you know, some kind of a work-life balance. So when you're at work, you're at work, when you're at when you're back home, you're back home. I, th- I think what you're trying to say here is there is a sex relationship balance, right? Yes. And so, so there are there are parts of the couple's life where they're all about relationship and taking care of the kids and 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 and. But then they need to carve out times where they're completely separate from this and engaged in that again, the sort of discovery, if you want. But but then I th- I have to say, and you know, I hope that doesn't come as differentiating, but doesn't boredom come in? I mean, they say that men are designed, at least during the old years, to look for as many mates as possible because that's the way to procreate life, right? And so there is still that instinctive part of a man. I'm, I'm more and more a believer that there is that instinctive part in a woman as well, by the way, you know, that women also... You know, now that the world is different and they don't need to be protected by this 
you know, male figure and so on, that this whole idea of maybe multiple partners and experiences and so on and so forth, that boredom, that variety, seeking variety, isn't that part of the equation? Absolutely. Right. And it is said, and like you said, other things are happening in current times, which is why we always have to be very careful about the grand statement, right? But biologically speaking, when you just look at survival of the species, yeah, men are programmed to have sex with as many young, shiny, viable, healthy women as they can get their hands on because that's how their DNA gets, you know, projected forward in time. Women mm -hmm. in the olden days, right? We're talking biologically, so I don't want to start some ideological war here. We're talking biologically, <laughs> yeah. right? Very sensitive um, topics. <laughs> very sensitive topics, and rightly so. But, you know, biologically speaking, women had to find somebody who could provide enough safety, food, and shelter so that the offspring a woman had with that person could live to adult life, right? Now, those mm -hmm. are some tough choices to make when you're in the caves or so, right? You have to find someone who has enough wherewithal to protect you and your children. And if you're pregnant and about to give birth, you do need that. Now, so those are the biological programming. So from a biological standpoint, women look for power, money, right? Resource. Men look mm -hmm. for beauty, youth, and variety. That's always there, right? But of course, yeah. the same way we could say, well, human beings are programmed to eat as much as they can because that's what grants survival during a tough winter. And the more sweets, the better. Now, yes, that's true, but that's not an excuse to eat every bag of potato chips you can get your hands on, right? It's mm -hmm. true. And when you know your biology, you can work with it. So it's certainly true that men get bored very easily with one woman, like a woman would get bored very easily with one pair of shoes. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> Thanks for the analogy. Right? All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so women want multiplicity of things and beauty and uh, sustenance, right? That's really pleasing to us, right? Mm -hmm. Why have one candle if you can have 30, right? That's part of the abundance of the fertility of the biology, right? And also mm. there's other aspects to it. And men, of course, want multiplicity of flavors of women. So to tell a woman that for the rest of her life, she can only wear one outfit in one color with one pair of shoes is like a life sentence. To tell a man that he can only be with one woman, right, for the rest of his life is also a life sentence. Now, mm. But I'm saying all of this to say that that's only one slice of human existence, the biology. And we are a lot more than our biology, right? We're mm -hmm. not just driven by our biology. Some people are, but most of us have other considerations, one of which is the emotional consideration, pair bonding, mm -hmm. depth of engagement with each other, the joy of having children together and creating a life together. That's a whole other mm -hmm. layer that follows completely different rules, right? Mm. When you want to long-term engage with another human in a life partnership, shiny, young, and sparkly isn't the thing mm. necessarily. You need somebody who is also reliable and can pull their weight when the going gets tough and is a good mother and so on and so on and so on. So there's there's another layer, right? Then there's the societal layer, what's a What's appropriate in your society so you're not getting 
pursued with with pitchforks or burned at the stake or whatever, right? Like, so there's all mm. these layers and the spiritual considerations. So mm. when we look at, yes, men are bored easily and nowadays also women are bored easily because we are now afforded the same, that, that's why it's, it's not good to say men and women, right? You could say the male aspect in every human and the female aspect in every I human. I love that, right? yes. And that's a very different story than men and women, because we both have equal amounts of male and female, so to speak, meaning mm. a part of us that wants to strive and succeed in business and get done and gets up on time and shows up on time. The parts of us that wants to be creative and emotional and enjoy foods and enjoy get togethers. Men have that too. And women have mm. the other part. So in the part that makes things happen in the world, there is multiplicity of other partners and stuff like that. In the part that engages with life as its fullest, there is depth and, and enjoyment of the bonding and stuff like that. And both can happen. So is it getting bore, boring in the relationship just from a biology standpoint? Yes, absolutely. Right? And anyone who's had a successful long-term relationship will tell you that they had huge peaks and valleys of attraction and sexual engagement. Uh, mm -hmm. So in a long-term relationship, it's perfectly normal for that to go and then come back if it's a healthy relationship. But there's mm -hmm. other layers that you can attend to. So what perhaps is no longer the sparkly, new, exciting thing now becomes a deeper exploration where your heart opens more, where you're actually mm -hmm. having a depth of intimacy that can't be done in the second Tinder date or something like that. It might be really exciting and it might feed you for a moment, but you're not actually able to have that depth of openness. And then there's, of course, spiritual dimensions to it, right? How you perceive yourself with a partner in the sexual domain, in the realms of spirit or the universe or whatever people call it, right? Like meaning... How is your relationship serving a greater good in your children, in your community, in your political climate, whatever, right? So there's much, much bigger, I call that part of a spiritual, you know, because it's outside mm. of yourself. So those are engagements and those are pursuits that can be endlessly exciting and fascinating and that take over from the thrill of the new flavor on one end. Mm. On the other mm. end... And this is what you see because people intuit that and then they go at it sometimes in odd ways, right? When people start role playing or going to different hotels with different wigs or stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. the, the background behind that is that in each human, there's different expressions or different flavors, mm -hmm. right? And by the way, not only men like different flavors of women, like you can feel that like spices, Women like that too. That's why all women like firefighters or most women mm. like firefighters. What did I see the other day that was just spectacular? Scottish men in kilts doing yoga. Right? That, that's a flavor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Might not be a flavor I want every day. but Is, is, this, is this a new category on porn? Uh, it actually now? wasn't porn. It was actually something on the BBC, interestingly wow. enough. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Huge. Um, if you type in Scottish men's and kilt doing yoga, you will find these two guys. They have an Instagram account, everything. <laughs> okay. It's spectacular. Now, that's, do I want that every day? No. <laughs> you know? For one, I wouldn't want to have to deal with uh, ironing the kilt. 
if there's such a thing. <laughs> but women like flavors too, right? And so there is no reason why within a long-term intimate relationship, you cannot give your partner also different flavors. But that takes a bit of effort. Hold on. This is a very, very, very important topic. So let, let me close on the topic before. So what I understood is you're saying there are so many layers to a relationship. One of them is the biological layer. And so instead of just chasing that biology, you might as well enjoy the other layers and make the biology work, right? And, and I have to say, I mean, I have this conversation quite a lot with my male friends, men, men friends, if you want, because the truth is, you know, I enjoyed that very, very long relationship with my ex-wife, who's still my best friend, who are very, very close, right? And we spent 28 years together and we were always in love, always passionate and so on. And there is a joy to that. There is an incredible joy to the project that you built together, to the kids that you raised together, to the spiritual connection, exactly as you said. Huh? And then that comes, if you want, with a little bit of a price, which is no variety during that period. That's the agreement, right? And because of that, you make that relationship in itself the variety, right? But then you come to that concept of, you know, some women want a firefighter and, you know, I'm not a firefighter, okay? And by the way, I think the more interesting question is that a woman who wants a firefighter sometimes you know, maybe perhaps not in my case, I, I, I tend to be very open in my relationships. But in general, a woman may not be willing to express those needs. You know, there is that element of how do you, how, how do you open up as a couple and actually share your fantasies, share what you, you know, what you want from the relationship instead of looking, at, looking for it elsewhere. Yeah. Well, first of all, most women don't want the firefighter per se. Some women just like only firefighters, right? Well, that's pretty mm -hmm. clear, right? But mm -hmm. it's not the firefighter, and this is the important piece to understand in a long-term relationship, is if, if you see, for instance, that your partner is really always into one kind of movie star, kind of one kind of expression, right? What you do is you look at what does that signify? So firefighter, right? This is, firefighter is a great example because it's so clear-cut. Mm -hmm. um, Courage, right? Unflinching courage in adversity. Mm. The willingness to put it all on the life, on the line for the life of others. A soft spot because there's kittens being rescued out of trees, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, a great attention to the body and fitness because that's important. The, the body is a tool for the purpose and a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> why 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 do you like uniforms so much i mean i'm i always wear black t-shirts does that count as a as a uniform kind of yes okay. it's a identifying feature right but mm -hmm. also a uniform in its very essence it has a formality and so what's interesting about a uniform not all women like uniforms but most women like uniforms right is that mm -hmm. the uniform well, first of all, it's a signifier, right? It, it, it is the signal of all the things I just described. Yes. So exactly. it loads up as that. Now we don't know if all firefighters are courageous and take good care of their bodies. And, you know, it's a trope. It's a signifier there. But the other thing is most uniforms are extremely practical, well thought out, and they're functional yet formal, right? They have to, they fulfill a purpose. And that should give you an idea as in what women respond to 
in men, which is a purpose-built appearance or appearance, right? And that's the important yeah. thing, purpose-built. Different things for different purposes. But that's the thing. There's something very unsexy about a guy who always wears the same shit no matter where he goes, right? Mm. Because it, it lacks distinction. It, lack, it lacks refinement. And Yeah, it, it, it sort of shows you don't, you don't put in the effort. You're not interested to show up. Yeah, or you are numb to the, to the energetic subtleties that women are very... Aren't more, most men numb to that? No, yeah, I mean. not really. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I would say that most men are finely in tune. They might just not know what to do about it or don't care or don't want to, right? That's a great statement. And I think that is a, a very powerful thing is when you for yourself can distinguish, I don't care, I don't want to, it's not important to me, right? So those are, mm. because then you become empowered instead of kind of washing it all away in some, well, who cares, right? No, it's like, I don't care, or I don't want to, or mm. this is not where I put my attention, right? Mm. This is, by the way, also when we talk about the multiplicity in men and stuff like that, it, how you work with that is not by suppressing it, or thinking that's bad or toxic masculinity or whatever. It's by acknowledging it and then going, yes, and. Yes, of course, I'm attracted by a lot of different women. And having more than one woman is not conducive to the kind of life I want to live. Morally, spiritually, just from a time-constrained drama quotient, right? Whatever, right? So Mm. you go, yes, and. I love that, Michaela. This is so well said. So there's nothing wrong. We want to come back to the topic of men and women and the empowerment and so on. But I love the idea of, look, this is the truth of who I am, right? And I am putting in an effort or I'm deciding or I'm choosing to do something different that shows nobility, that shows commitment, that shows I'm in charge of things. I think that's wonderful. I, I also will say very openly, you know, one of the things that I found in my relationships, uh, you know, no, not to generalize, but, you know, there are certain times where women are maybe emotional or there are certain times when certain things would trigger them. And, you know, it's okay to own that. I, you know, we're an emotional being. That's absolutely fine. Right. And by the way, I'm going to express my emotions and I'm going to let it out. And I expect you as my man to take charge of that. Right. And we have to work on being there. But let's go back to that point, because we we started from how do we enable a couple to express their desire for variety, even if it's a little bit taboo, a little more openly. Exactly. So the first thing you do is you go, like you said, yeah, I'm not a firefighter. Well, but you have firefighter qualities. Right. So one of the things that you can do for yourself is if you know that your partner has a certain preference of some sort, then you cultivate some of those qualities, not because you're not good enough otherwise, but as a gift. And also Mm. what's wrong with having a wide range of expression, right? Same Mm. is true for women. If women can go beyond, oh, why does he look at that blonde? I'm not a blonde. I'm not good enough, right? That's a, that's a common trap. We. To have a tendency towards that. I include myself here, right? They're not good enough. It's a thing. It has to do with, you know, selection and all kinds of stuff. So if you can go beyond that and say, 
oh, it's just a different flavor. Yeah, you don't want pizza every day, all day. Mm. Oh, what does blonde mean? Oh, it's a cooling flavor. It's a flavor that's kind of a bit expanded and maybe a bit lighter and a bit happier, right? So as a, like you look at that woman, he look, he eyes and you go, what does she have that I don't have? And then instead of immediately getting all upset and aggressive and whatever, you go, oh, well, maybe it just needs a slight palate cleanser. So maybe I should lay off the intensity for a few seconds, right? So it's mm. not that hard to incorporate other flavors in our expression. And then, of course, mm. when you say if it's a bit risque or if it's a bit kinky or a bit weird, well, that's a, that's a secondary thing. The primary thing is that if you understand that we all need different things at different times, and you also understand that your partner isn't all those things, then on one end, you can healthily supplement some things that you don't need from your partner. So for instance, mm. of course, sexually speaking, most people prefer to be monogamous, but emotionally speaking, or just from a visual entertainment standpoint, you don't have to do that all the time. So mm -hmm. if you need a palate cleanser, you can watch a TV show or you can go out with some friends or you can engage in an activity that gives you some of the things that you're lacking. Because, for instance, you know, if you never eat salt, you're going to get really craving for salt. But if you have a little bit of salt, it's probably enough, right? So mm -hmm. you learn how to healthfully expand your palate by doing it where you can. And then with your own partner, you just make an effort to switch things up. It doesn't even matter how, it's just that, right? Mm. Get that dressed differently. Go somewhere else. You know, it might be so comforting to go to the same Italian restaurant every Saturday night. It is killing your sex life, you know? Mm. So it, it just is, right? And so now some mm. people don't care about that, but if you do... Get dressed in a different way. Go somewhere else. Take the initiative and do something separate. And sometimes you'll fail and it just sucks. And sometimes it you will find that it's super exciting. You know? mm -hmm. Read something that's outside of your normal expertise. Talk about that. Try something else, right? So that's as far as the regular increasing the spark. Now, when we now talk about some sexual preferences of things that maybe you have a hard time expressing. Well, one of the easiest ways to do that is to kind of point towards things that give a hint in that direction, right? So I don't know, you watch a movie, somebody ties somebody up, right? And mm -hmm. you can say to your partner, I've never done that. I wonder what that would be like. That's kind mm -hmm. of interesting to me. I mean, if you're not, if you're not able to say that in a relationship, you have some deeper things going on, probably, right? Or if that's too much, you'll go, Oh, that kind of felt exciting in my body or something like that. You know, you can be even subtler than that, but you point towards that. Most people take the hint. Most people are at least willing to experiment with their partner for the sake of the enjoyment. Totally. But I think, I think where the challenge really comes is sort of those markings of taboo, right? So the, the, a phenomena that we definitely, I would love to talk about is 50 Shades of Grey, right? Where basically 
somehow you realize that this is interesting for a lot of women. Again, now, now that you talk about firefighters and, and so on, it's not, it's not the dominance act itself. I feel that what this Christian Grey or something, I don't remember his name, you know, he represented something that women like, right? But then the idea of in their own mind, maybe not being able to express that to their husband, which is supposed to be familiar and long-term and stable, you know what I mean? Then it becomes a desire in her that she's not able to express, or, for, or in him that he's not able to express to her, because she's supposed to be the mother of the kids, let's say, right? And so it's the idea of those taboos. It's, it, I think it starts from within us to say there is something you know why why do we consider that there is any part of this that is taboo i i always say that sexuality in general is weird right everyone which in every possible flavor in it it's just not our normal being it's not the way we are out in the world and you know and interacting with life so why is why are there certain parts of it that are considered to be more weird than others yeah well for societal reasons and up people's upbringings and things like that. And I certainly think that is a very big part of becoming an adult, right? That you reckon mm. with your own sexuality and with the programming that is societal and really do some work around that. Because that also cuts down on prejudice and it cuts down on, you know, weird gender wars and all of those kind of things when you actually have an honest, truthful look at your sexuality in the context of what's expected versus what you want and things mm -hmm. of that nature. Mm -hmm. And once again, that Fifty Shades of Grey thing, I, it's not surprising that that's what women were into because what it signifies is the relieving of one's responsibility, the relieving of one's agency for a moment of mindless surrender, so to speak, right? Now, not everybody wants to be treated like the woman in the movie, right? And not everybody wants a guy to treat her like that because it's actually, that's, that is somewhat of a fast food version of the real thing. But mm. what there is, is the need for the relieving of the direction for a moment, right? It goes both ways. Men sometimes want that too. That's why men have those fantasies of the women laying them down and peeling their clothes off and the guys can just lay there and are being serviced in some way, right? That's also very relieving because you don't have to work so hard at all times. And that's a mm. big piece in a sexual relationship is when one partner always expects that the other does them, right? And stuff like that. So you could have whole explorations of wonderful sexual, you know, play by splitting up responsibilities and saying, oh, tonight you are not going to do anything. You're just going to lay there, right? I'm going to take care of you and the other way around. And all of those things can be explored amongst people, you know, who love each other and who are willing to be a bit in exploration. And mm. it doesn't have to be that heavy. You could just buy a book with some, you know, whatever, the, the joy of sex or something like that, right? A very middle of the road somewhat book and pick a few things that you want to explore, put them on pieces of paper, put them in a, you know, jar, pick one on occasion and go, yeah. oh, let's try this. And then it's also not so awkward and embarrassing and fraught with all this horrible stuff because mm -hmm. you just 
exploring a thing that every human being does and wants to do. And we all came from that exploration. And if mm -hmm. we have children, we made those with that exploration, right? So there is certainly a need to demystify and also deconstruct some of the, you know, programming. But that's doable. I mean, we have enough mm -hmm. nowadays, particularly, right? It's not like in the olden days where you had to hush, hush, go to some store and buy some magazine wrapped into some wrapper or whatever. <laughs> If you wanted to see something that you didn't know about, you can educate yourself about everything in gory detail online. There's great educational stuff. There's great videos. And this is the other part of how do you keep the spark alive? And this is something that most people, you know, don't like to hear. Learn some sexual skills, some new yeah. sexual skills. What's yeah. wrong with upping your repertoire from when what you learned when you were 16, which yeah. is what most people still do, right? When you did your first fumbling in the basement of your parents' friends, you know, where you had a party or something. It's like, learn some new sexual skills. Do it together. Do it individually. Find out about your own body. Learn about your own pleasure, Explore yeah. your own pleasure so you are more responsive to a partner because you actually know what's what. So developing some skills and actually, let's say, continued education in the sexual domain goes a long way to keeping the spark alive. That is such a, f a profound advice. It's a skill, right? You, you would learn to bake better, right? And baking better makes the couple happier. Right. That's I think there is part of it that is not a skill, but there there are mechanics to it. Right. There are things that are all about just like we do in meditation, you know, when you're on in your own body awareness, the awareness of your partner's sensations and feelings and likes and right. And so I, I know you have to go. So I have to I want I want to ask you one more quick question. And in a lot of what you're saying, you're saying men and, and women are the same. Sort of like, you know, we, we assume the same roles. Do, do you believe that to be true? Is it, is it true that it's obvious in Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, that a woman wants to be taken, right? A man wants to take a woman. There is, there is a difference there. Are, are we similar or are we different? We are both, right? So I think first and foremost, we're humans, And we should be treated as humans, free of all the labels. And within mm. that, we should be able to unfold as the beings that we want to be, because that's ultimately the greatest gift we can give everyone around us. Mm. Now, mm. that said, and I also believe that women should be able to do all the things men do, and men should be doing all the things women do, societally speaking. Now, but that's, but now that means something else. And that's really important preference, mm. right? So yeah, of course you have preferences and most women, not all women, but a lot of women have the preference to be taken sexually, but that doesn't mean we're the little housewives in the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And oh, I love that statement. Yes. But because I like to be submissive sexually doesn't mean I'm going to be sitting at home baking all day. On the mm -hmm. contrary, the more I'm out there in the world making my mark, the more I want to be relieved and taken. So my sexual preference, and the same with a man, right? Somebody taking charge of a sexual relationship or sexual engagement is 
for the person who does it and does it well is equally as enjoyable as the one who surrenders. Now, but that's mm-hmm. a preference. It's a choice. It's mm-hmm. what you like. Now, should you be able to go the other way on occasion? Yes. Right. Just because it's good to be, a, but it's not your preference. It's like, I like black clothing. Can I wear other clothes? Absolutely. Do I? Not that often on occasion. Mm. Right. So I don't have dogma or ideology about my black clothing and neither yeah. should I have dogma or ideology about my sexual preferences. And yeah. what makes a good relationship and what makes the relationship have good spark is that in the sexual moment, one person takes on one role, the other person takes on the other role. You have two, there's strong Difference. arc of attraction, of spark, of polarity, erotic mm. friction. And then you have a fun, great, fulfilling sexual moment, and then you can go back to sameness. Mm. Right? So it's always it always goes back to that sex life balance, if you want. But yeah, when you look at how much life you spend living versus how much life you spend, excuse me, then you have to see, right, that there there will be certain things that are more important than others. Yeah, and I th- and I th- I think what you what's clear in this conversation is that both are important, both are separate, okay, and both require you to live them fully. So when you're in life, you, when you're when you're having sex and you like to be taken or dominated, that's absolutely fine. When you're out there in the world, you don't have to say yes to everyone, right? You can absolutely take your stand, right? You can when you when you're with your partner and it's uh, you know hot and steamy and fresh and new. That doesn't mean that once that is done, you can't go back to that idea of a balanced life and a, and, and a predictable life. Uh, Michaela, I know you have to go. I wanted you to stay. We wanted another hour and a half, but I am so... We can always book another time. We should, we should definitely do that. I loved our conversation. I think it's uh, lots of eye-opening, even though when you hear them, you go like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, kinds of remarks, and I hope you've you have inspired and maybe changed the lives of a few thousand today. <laughs> Let's hope for that. Well, that was really interesting. Sex life balance. I'm coining that term. This is a term that I think we should use in understanding how we can keep both active, engaged, and alive. Before you go, I remind you to help me push this message forward by uh, rating this podcast uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts. Please find me on social media. Uh, tag me as you share with others. Tell others what you learn. I'm Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn, M Gaudet on Twitter, and mo.gaudet.personal on Facebook. I love you all for listening, and I hope to have you with me on the next episode.